following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. That's one of my favorite things to do is to read on revival, just to, to, especially in the United States, and to see a consistent pattern of the Lord through all of our history of uh, his faithfulness. And it seems in the bleakest moments, uh, he just sends a, a move of God that um, uh, just makes sense of it all. In fact, many times the move of God came and then there, the, the nation would enter into a horrifically difficult time. I think it's the second great awakening was about 30 years before the Civil War. Um, nevertheless, when God comes and moves in the heart of not just one or two, but a corporate people. How many know that's what we need? You know, I, I mean, I, I love seeing people lit up by God, but when a bunch of people get lit up by God, when a bunch of people come into um, a unity of the faith for that, and when a nation comes into the unity of the faith, it doesn't take everybody. But there is a, I don't know, I don't know quite how it all works, but it seems like there is a mass that uh, um, is needed for the ball to start rolling. And then it just, you know, uh, keeps on going. So if you want to be encouraged in the time that we are in, I encourage you to find some books on revival. Find some books on moves of God. Um, I love reading books on the old saint, Smith Wigglesworth, reading some of his history. Um, how he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick, he was doing a lot of the works already, but then he got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he was so changed by the Holy Spirit that his wife didn't hardly recognize, he, he went to preach, she didn't believe in this stuff, you know. They were taught that the Holy Spirit and all this stuff wasn't for today. And uh, when he comes back and he's speaking in tongues, uh, she says, well, you're going to prove it then. You're going to preach tonight, or you're going to preach Sunday. He says, okay. You know, she was normally a preacher. She was the better preacher. But she was sat on the back row, and the history accounts that I read say that she was squirming because the power of God was so on Smith Wigglesworth that she was squirming in the back row, and she was saying, this isn't my Smith. This isn't my Smith. You know, and so Holy Spirit makes a difference. How many know who David Hogan is? David Hogan is, um, oh man, he's, he's one of a kind. Yeah, he's, I, I used to know David before he was well known. Uh, he used to come to our little church up in uh, Zimmerman. And uh, was, he was just out of the bush. I mean, he had, he had uh, gone up to Alaska running from God. And um, he grew up in a Christian home. But he had got into drugs, selling drugs. He was packing. Uh, he's, by his testimony, he was, uh, his insides were being eaten out because of the lifestyle that he was living. And so he was flying on the way up to Alaska. And in the airplane, he was arguing with God. How many know that backsplitting people still hear God's voice? People that are walking in great debauchery still are speaking with the things of the Lord. And... Um, David was arguing with God. He says, well, God, 
You say that there, there's faith. I don't see faith in the church. I don't, I don't see anything but unbelief, and I, I see doubt, and I, I don't see faith. And the Lord spoke to his heart, and he said, okay, then you go, and you be that man of faith. David landed in Anchorage, got the next plane back, and came back, and he started you know, going down into Mexico, and people are getting saved and, and all this. And great things are happening. But by David's own testimony, he said, I was casting out more demons and I was getting more people saved than most of the people around me. He said, but then I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And now if you talk to David, it's all about Holy Ghost. <laughs> and he, he says, uh, once I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, oh man, it made a difference. You know, it was like night and day. So today we're celebrating Pentecost and Pentecost is, you know, we, we, we've watered it down some, in my opinion, in my view. We've watered it down some. I really believe that there is a salvation experience we come into, but then there is available to us a baptism in Holy Spirit. And we'll look a little bit here. There's five times that it's mentioned in the book of Acts where Holy Spirit came upon people, where Holy Spirit filled people, where they received this baptism. And some of the people were saved already, and then they had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Some of the people weren't even saved, and Holy Spirit fell. And, and you know, so Holy Spirit, there's, while I, I treasure and we need our, our salvation spirit and um, experience, and everything that we receive at salvation is really precious. But I believe that we need to rediscover the power of a Pentecost, Holy Spirit outpouring. That's what changes things. That, that's, what, that's what moves me. So we're, our topic this month is, we've got the power. I've really appreciated that we're going after this a little bit. In some ways, we could be really disappointed in the power of God. In, in this house, right? We've seen some pretty hard things over the last couple of years. We've seen things that um, where prayers have not been answered the way we've wanted them. I'm just being honest. I was pastoring there in this time, right? And there is disappointments in my own heart, in my own spirit that I've had to walk honestly before the Lord with. And we could be a people that are disappointed. So when Pastor Renee decided to go after this thing about the power. It's like she wasn't shrinking back. And I, I'm really glad for that. She laid a foundation about normal Christianity. Do you remember her, her talking a little bit about what we have come to expect as normal? And that we accept all sorts of dysfunction in our lives as Christian, and we just kind of, that has become our new normal. Our experience has become normal, our normal as Christians. When Jesus came and he modeled and preached and taught and empowered us on a new normal. That there's a normal in the faith, there's a normal in, in the church that is far above what we have expected and come to just you know, live with. And so I really appreciated her challenging us on that, that we have the power, that the power of God is resident within us that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you and me, that through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was then able to take and send Holy Spirit upon people, upon you and upon me. 
once again. So I appreciated her challenge. And then Bob spoke um, on the uh, coming together of authority and power. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of the most incredible messages that I have heard in defining what I believe is one of the dysfunctions in the church of Jesus Christ, in that we many times do things out of presumption or assumption. This has been big on my heart for the last couple of months. I've been rolling this over in my mind, in my spirit. But there were people in the New Testament that actually went and they cast out demons, they healed the sick, they did the works of the kingdom, but they didn't do it under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't do it in conjunction with his voice. They didn't do it in conjunction with uh, obedience to what he was speaking and what he was saying at the time. That's the authority. So when we, we talk about uh, the sin of presumption, deliver me, O Lord, from the presumptuous sin. I remember, many remember David's prayer in Psalm 19. The sin of presumption is taking and doing the works of Christ without relationship to him. It's, it's doing the works of Christ on our own will, our own power, just because somebody else said I should do it. And then we go and we do all sorts of things. And beloved, we've seen a lot of damage in the church. We've seen a lot of damage to our faith. And so Bob was really setting some things in order when he was bringing the marriage of authority and power. There's two commissions, uh, given the great commissions, it's given twice in the New Testament, one in the Mark, uh, book of uh, Matthew, one in the book of Mark. The Matthew commission is the um, authority commission, right? All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and preach the gospel. The power commission is in Mark. And that's the one that says, you'll lay hands on the sick. You're going to drink deadly things. None of it's going to hurt you. You're going to speak in other tongues. You know, you're, you're going to do the works. And so there's two, I think it's kind of significant that there's two commissions that are given by the same Jesus. One carries authority and one carries power. So what Bob was bringing into really a, a beautiful light and the way he preached it was so significant um, that, that it's something we, I, I encourage, if you didn't hear that message, go back and listen to that. And of course, then the kids preached last week. <laughs> was that fun or what? Yeah. Ah, I love seeing these kids just tapping into the things of the Lord and, and in their own simplicity, their own testimonies, powerful testimonies. I was blessed. I, I, I was like, Jesus, I can go home now, you know. I, I live for another generation. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I love our generation. I love my generation. But I live for another generation. I want to live my life for somebody that I'll never see. What I'm doing now, I want to plant seeds that will have fruit after I've gone home to be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we've got the power. The issue isn't whether or not we have the power. We have the power. The issue is knowing how to access the power. Right? I mean, why is it that we've got the power and yet we see so much powerlessness in the church? 
We see powerlessness over sin. We see powerlessness over uh, sickness. We see powerlessness over disease. And I believe that a lot of it is just faith. I mean, it's just fundamental faith. And faith comes by hearing, right? Hearing by the word of God. Faith can never be exercise apart from relationship with God. See, we don't have a made-up faith that I'm just going to grit my teeth and I'm going to believe and doggone it, I'm going to get faith. The only faith that's really worth getting is the faith of Christ. That which is in Christ that works through us, that ministers into our spirit and ministers out through us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the living, gone-going and the written word of God. When this comes alive, have you ever read and encountered the word? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Am I talking weird here? I have read the word, and I read the word, and I read the word a lot. And there are times that I get up from reading the word, and I don't remember a thing I read. Anybody else? Yeah. (laughs) But then there's times that I encounter the word where the word actually starts to dwell in me and it actually becomes part of me and I have encounters with the word. I've got several visions that I've had out of encounters with the word that have just changed the way I view faith, the way I view our salvation, the way I view God, the way I view my relationship with God. So I want to encourage us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that it's an encounter with the Holy Spirit bringing alive the Word of God. Now, accessing the power of God. I'm I'm glad. There's safeguards. How many know that there's safeguards on the power of God? In other words, there are some things that will hinder us from being able to move in the power of God. Now, here's why I'm glad for that. How many remember uh, James and, uh, was it James and John? who there were some folks that were doing some things that they weren't pleased with. And he said to, they said to Jesus, shall we call fire down upon them? Lord, let us call fire down upon them. How many know that if we had unlimited power, Washington would be toast right now? Yeah. <laughs> and how many know it's not God's heart for Washington to be toast right now? How many know it's God's heart for repentance And salvation in Washington. That if we had unlimited power, boy, we'd be taking care of all of them. Get rid of them all. And then try to find somebody else to take their places that we can get rid of. You know? And it's like, thank God that he has not answered our prayers. Thank God that he has not done what much of the church has been asking him to do. That's scary. But it's true. See, God has such a view for the bigger picture. And he has such a heart for people. And we tend to want to take our frustrations out on people. When, if we're all honest... I was one of those people that I'm glad somebody had patience with me in the middle of my debauchery and in the middle of my sin. I'm glad that fire wasn't called down upon me. 
and that there was mercy that was extended to me. How many want to extend mercy to those that are in Washington? I don't have to agree with what they're doing. No, sin is sin, and the stuff that they're doing is craziness. I don't get it. I will never endorse it. There are things about, shall I say it? I will. President Trump that I could not endorse doesn't mean I was against him. I pray for his salvation. I, you, you, you know what I'm saying here? I, and I'm not being political. I, I, I'm really not. I'm just saying that there is a higher call on the church and that God in his mercy has withheld us from flowing in unlimited power. It's his mercy. Right now, what if? What if we have hundreds of thousands of people coming into this nation through a southern border where the enemy wants it to destroy us, but God wants to work out for good that the nations are coming to America to partake in this revival that we are going to be experiencing. What if hundreds of thousands of people from other nations are coming here to encounter God? Where's the church? What a mission field. We don't have to go into hostile nations to preach the gospel. Yeah, well, we do. We still need to do that. But they're here. They're coming here. And much of the church, we so want to preserve and protect the great, the American dream, that we're not seeing the opportunity that God has. And so we want to close the borders. I'll use my authority and I'll close the borders. This shouldn't be happening. It's unfair to me because I pay taxes. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> but there's something about the heart of God that we're missing in all these things. And there's something about the power of God that has been withheld from the church because we want to use the power of God in an illegitimate way. See, the power of God is always meant to be used to serve God and to serve people. The motivation, there's two things that, main things that I feel will keep us from moving in the power of God. And the first thing is having motives that are impure. That's a big one. <laughs> Because that, our motives are many times driven by what we see out there. And we see injustices. We see things in the natural. And so the motive of our heart may be generated from out there. But I believe that the pure motive that God wants to tap into is those that see with eyes of the Spirit. That have an understanding of what God is doing. Beyond what we see out there. We want to see people healed and set free. And there's part of us that really, you know, we, we, we long for that. We desire that. But, you know, it could be just so that I can justify that I'm not crazy for believing in Jesus. How many know that God is not concerned about defending his own name? He's big enough to be okay with people that blaspheme, people that unbelieve. 
In fact, when there were those that when Jesus said some offensive things, and they talked like, he talked like, if you, except you eat my body and drink my blood, you have none, no part of me. Jesus wasn't concerned about defending his own name there. He let the people go. See, we somehow think that we have to defend the name of God. But really, what we're doing is trying to defend our own reputation. I know, I'm being mean here. You know, I, I, I love, boy, reading this book that Ken's talking about, they talk about the ministry to the lumberjacks. You want to talk about a, a hard people to reach. Back in the turn of the 1800s, early 1800s, Big Fork, Minnesota is one of the stories that they talked about. It was the most incredibly debauched place in the nation. I mean, you name it, it was going on there. And God sent somebody who <laughs> just loved the people. Moved in, moved his family in. Was honest with the gospel. Truthful with the gospel. Sometimes he got in fist fights. He happened to be a champion boxer. So that helped. Somebody... Well, I can't go into that story. <laughs> Let's just say somebody made a derogatory comment toward his wife, and the next thing he was doing was jumping through the barroom door, tearing the screen off. It was a hired guy that was supposed to beat him up, chase him out of town. He cold-cocked him, caught out of the corner of his eye the bartender that was raising a, a, a bottle to smash it over his head, he somehow cold-cocked him. There's, I think, somebody else that he, he beat up. This is a preacher. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a fire-breathing preacher. He noticed that all the other guys are lining up against the walls. He says, who's next? I'll take every one of you. <laughs> and then he says, he, as he's leaving, he says, he says <laughs> the service is going to be tonight at 7 o'clock. And I'll be preaching. <laughs> but this guy didn't have some kind of a motive of the heart that was impure. He didn't have to defend the name of God. All he needed to do was love people. I think we're sometimes so busy trying to defend our faith or defend the Christian religion that we forget that love is the only way that's going to defend God and who he is. The second thing that I see will hinder us is true faith, that, that there is this true faith, there is this real faith, this faith that's persevering in nature. Um, Jesus commented on a, a woman, you know the story, that the judge, an unrighteous judge, wouldn't vindicate her, wouldn't defend her, wouldn't bring justice for her, and she kept going and going and going and going. Until finally the judge says, man, this gal's going to wear me out. I, I got to do something for her. So he did what he said he would, you know, what she wanted him to do. The comment that Jesus makes at the end of that is, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And I believe what he was asking is, 
When I come back, am I going to find real faith? Am I going to find a people who will believe the unbelievable? Am I going to find a people who will persevere in the darkest of times and believe the promises? Am I going to find a people that will love when everybody else is hating? Am I going to find a people who are going to be faithful and faith-filled? How many want to be in that camp? How many know that it takes a grace from God to go there? It takes a grace from God, but it also takes fellowship with like-minded believers. One of the reasons they like hanging out with Ken is guys always got faith. Those are two things that I believe will hinder us from moving in the power of God. A couple of parables that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 17, verses 17 through 21. The disciples couldn't cast a demon out of a man's son. You know, he... He brought his son, who was demon-possessed, to his disciples. The disciples couldn't pass, cast him out. So he comes to Jesus, and Jesus, here's what Jesus says. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. You know, I, I have to be honest that right now, Jesus would be saying that to me. When's the last time that you've cast a demon out of somebody? When's the last time you've healed the sick, raised the dead, led somebody to Christ? See, this, please, please, this is not condemnation. What I'm trying to do is stir a hunger in our hearts. That normal, what we've come to accept as normal, is not normal. And the only thing that's going to shift this and change this is if we get real with God. And if we humble ourselves before him, and if he calls me a faithless and perverse generation, then I want to see something done in my life about it. I don't want to deny it. How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and came out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, the sin of unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, be move, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Most um, manuscripts eliminate prayer and fasting, I, the, the, not prayer, it's just prayer. This kind doesn't go out but by prayer. It eliminates fasting. Thank you, Jesus. That's all I got to say about that. But prayerlessness is equated with powerlessness. See, Jesus didn't wait until the need was there. He got alone with the Father often. He got on the mountain by himself with the Lord. And he prayed. This kind of faith doesn't go out. I don't believe the subject there is demons, by the way. I believe this, it's, it's faith is the subject. This kind of faith doesn't go out to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out demons without prayer, without a life of prayer. See, a lot of us kind of, we... we, we 
have the fireman's mentality that when the fire is raging, then we cry out. I want to encourage us that prayer in the good times is what builds an account for the hard times. Prayerlessness equates powerlessness. A second parable that Jesus told Again, the disciples were kind of like where I'm at right now. Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. How many have cried out for that? Has that been anybody else's prayer? Increase our faith. So the Lord answers like totally unrelated. He says, well, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'd say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, plant in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant? You know. So Jesus goes on and he says, listen, you want faith? Well, if you had faith, that's kind of like saying, hey, I'm hungry. And Jesus would say, well, if you're hungry, boy, wouldn't a Big Mac feel, taste great? You know, wouldn't it just fill your stomach? You know? And it's like Jesus doesn't minister to what they're really asking here. But he puts something out there that creates a hunger. If you had faith, nothing would be impossible to you. He's not condemning. He's not shaming. He's answering their legitimate cry, increase my faith. How many know that's a prayer that Jesus wants to answer? Lord, increase my faith. And then he tells the parable, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? Afterward, you will eat and drink. Does, not, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what it was our duty to do. To increase faith, you need to be faithful. That you need to be obedient to what God has told you to do. And you have to be obedient, not in a way that sticks some kind of a feather in your cap or you break your own arms patting yourselves because you got it right for once. I'm really being mean. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be this mean. Maybe I do. <laughs> Actually, this would be mean if I wasn't speaking to myself. I'm speaking to myself here. Okay? I'm not speaking to somebody that has this all figured out. I'm speaking to somebody who has a hunger in his heart that's developing to see Jesus glorified. But he basically says, as a servant, the way to increase your faith is to be faithful in what you've already done and to do the things that you're commanded to do and to do them with a good and a right heart before God. Obedience builds faith. How many have gotten the victory from time to time by something you did that was a direct act of obedience? And it encourages you, right? It builds your faith for the next time. That's what Jesus is saying. So to increase our faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, but also faith is built by being faithful. We want to be faithful. Pentecost and power. I can't go into, I'm all out of time.
I alluded to five places in Scripture where Holy Spirit is poured out in the book of Acts. Hunger was key in all of those circumstances. A hunger. People came from miles around and spent time in prayer, spent time seeking the Lord because of hunger. Four questions. Corporate and individual unbelief is resulting in a weak and anemic church. I know that, that, that's a strong statement, but I believe it's true. Corporate and individual unbelief is resulting in a weak and anemic church. You've got the power. What we need to do is know how to access it, access it. First question. Could it be that our national issues will draw the church into a place of humility and hunger? Everything that's going on in our nation right now, the stuff that scares the bejeebans out of us, the stuff that we see is really unjust, the stuff that, as somebody who grew up in a pretty sane time in our nation, and there's a grieving of the loss of the things, there's a genuine grieving going in my heart and what we've lost in this nation. But could it be that these national issues are drawing the church into a place of humility and hunger? I believe so. Second question. Could it be that the growing dissatisfaction with the status quo of what has become much of American church is initiating a fresh hunger and desire in us for the more that we know promised to us in as normal Christianity. I believe there is a dissatisfaction with the status quo. Anybody else there? We can either become bitter or we can become better with that. I refuse to become bitter. Third thing, what steps of obedience are being laid out before us to see the power of God in our lives and ministries? And number four, what will be your response to the calling of the Holy Spirit? Let's stand together. I want to encourage us to call upon Holy Spirit. I want to encourage us to make this a Pentecost that isn't just another good doctrine, not another feast day, but a reality of a hungering and thirsting heart to see Jesus glorified to see our lives change, to see the power of God manifested in the church. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, I, I, I declare my hunger. Father, I declare my thirsting. God, I declare that my own stuff and my own issues of life, God, have caused me to be weak and anemic. But Lord, I know too that your promise is yes and amen. Lord, that your word says, he who thirsts, let him come to me. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So Father, there is this coming to you that is even a grace. I pray for a grace to fall upon us as a people. Lord, that will cause us to come to you. Past all the sin, all the shame, all the failure, all the disappointments, God, to come to you. And Lord, that you would pour out 
a Pentecostal baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire upon us as a people. Lord, there's just no other way. You said don't leave Jerusalem without it. God, that we don't dare go out and try to do the works of Jesus on our own. So, Father, I pray for that same hunger and that thirst to stir within each of us, knowing that you're faithful to answer the longing heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you.